0: What's up, guys? Welcome to No Regard, the number one basketball podcast in the world, because we say so. I'm Vasay Mubin, your co-host. I'm here with Army Mubin. How are you doing, Army? I'm doing really good. Uh, nice, fine day outside, but today we're inside the gym, so let's see how this goes. Today, guys, we got a special guest for you. Uh, he is the greatest basketball coach I have ever met, founder and owner of the St. Louis Basketball Academy, was inducted into the Maryville Hall of Fame for both baseball and and basketball in 1988 and has trained some of the best shooters of all time coach Dennis Beckett coach thanks for coming on thank you for having me uh how you doing today coach good really good so I want to just jump right into the questions if you don't mind yeah uh so you've coached some really great players uh like Blake Ahern Gary Buchanan Jake Camp and for those that don't know Blake Ahern played six years in the NBA uh for the Grizzlies or no, not six years, I think three years, right three for years. the mm-hmm. Grizzlies, the jazz, and oh no, sorry, he's the assistant coach for the Grizzlies right now. Uh, he played for the heat, the jazz, and the Spurs, and is widely regarded as the greatest free throw shooter in college basketball history. Gary Buchanan, on the other hand, was inducted to the uh, Villanova Hall of Fame and once held the record for most consecutive free throws made um, in the NCAA and Jake camp is on record for making 549 free throws in a row in this gym, um, and you've coached all of them. So, Coach, I want to ask you, obviously all these guys are great shooters, great free throw shooters in particular. What strategies, tactics, methods, or, or other forms of training did you use to, to develop them into these great shooters?
1: Well, one of the things I think we, we do most importantly is we um, have a mentality that we uh, – it's kind of a three parts we say that we respect the free throw line, we develop a routine, and then with that, we develop a rhythm. And so those three things get to where it becomes, you become very comfortable with the free throw line, plus you respect it. Now, the respect comes from a lot of ways. One, we say you, you have to respect the free throw line every time you're shooting. Workouts, certainly in a game, you respect it. It's worth value to the team. But you have to understand the value in a workout. We value, we value it inside the workout in that we are, one, Blake Ahern used to tell kids all the time, this is form shooting. This is his form shooting, his free throw shooting during his workout. And Gary Buchanan would have the same mindset. As, by the way, it was very interesting. There were two, two very different social stratum backgrounds, completely different, but they worked out with each other, one at 11 years old, one at 14 years old, from those ages all the way to their final pro games about 20 years, over a 20-year period, they trained together constantly two and three times a week, and they had the same DNA mentality, same mental toughness mentality, and it was really interesting, and they played off each other in the workouts, and they were, you said they were considered. Blake is, because free throw shooting is an absolute. You can can measure free throw shooting because it's an absolute number, an absolute percentage. Blake is the number one free throw shooter in the history of college basketball, 95.2. And he led the NCAA in three years in the free throw. He would have led the fourth year, freshman year, but he he was two free throws short. He didn't have enough. He would have led four years in a row. And he is the career free throw percentage. Gary was the most in a row, 79. Then a guy from Butler broke it a couple years afterwards. But Gary broke a record that had been around like 30, 40 years. And Gary is the number three free-throw shooter. They're number one and number three in the NCAA history. He's 92.9, Gary Buchanan. Wow. And then at one time in their pro career, Blake was playing in Italy, and Gary was playing in Argentina. And FIBA, you know, the FIBA, which is all the Olympics and all that, FIBA has an international stats scheme of things, and they only really utilize one where they show across the world, where three, three categories. Free throw percentage, field goal percentage, and three point field goal percentage. Because mm-hmm. other, other categories can be a bit subjective rebounding, assists, these yeah, kinds of things. True. But those are absolutes, no matter what league you're playing. And these are all the pro leagues recognized by FIBA, It was about 10 years ago. Garrett, Blake was in Italy, Gary was in Argentina, and Blake was 99 out of 100 in Italy, and wow. Gary was 126 out of 129. In Argentina wow. and they were number one and number two out of the top 500 shooters in the world
0: and you coached and, them both and I
1: was at a camp here and I said you know you hyperbole to kids it's two of the best two of, that's the number one and number two free throw shooter in the world at that time yeah. that's kind of amazing when you think about it you know what I mean and yeah. that they train together that they train together it's amazing
0: and I remember you telling us they went about it in such a meticulous manner I mean you yeah. said I, I have a paper actually that you gave to me um with literally after blake's work blake Ahern's workout he would write down every single shot he took and how many made how many how many took right
1: yeah we call it blake by the numbers actually we're getting ready to try to start a, we're getting ready to try to start up a program a shooting program called blake by the numbers gary buchanan bought into it too but they had different again different approaches there but same dna blake was a bit obsessive compulsive that'll be you know uh uh ocd with it and in regards to he kept track of every free throw from the time he was 11 until his 34 his last pro game. every free <laughs> <My> throw you <God. laughs> know a, a ton of them are sitting right over there in a box yeah. i got files on it and i show kids papers and i he got it when i was first started training him because i played with his dad danny was a, you know blake's dad was a player of the year state of missouri oh really yeah, clayton high school yeah took clayton high school to the state championship game wow so blake's from good dna Clearly, Before good good jeans, basketball jeans. If he had his dad's height, his dad's six six, Blake could have been probably a 15 year NBA player. Nonetheless, I told Blake when I was started training him, I showed him a little book I had when I was a kid. I was no body, but I just showed him that I kept track of every. Blake took it to heart, and he started keeping track. So he kept track of every shot from the time he was 11 until his final pro game. And in fact, one moment, I remember how it was sort of obsessive compulsive. He was playing in China getting ready to go to China. We did a workout here, right here. And uh, he would always take a picture of his, sign it. The sheet would be, he would write all the numbers in after the workout, during the workout, because we have different drills. We have, when we, make, make, we have different sets and different drills. We right. make like 30 shots. We make 25 shots in this drill, 20 shots in this drill, right. depending on the circumstances. And he writes it all down, da-da-da. And then we do free throws in between each one. It's all a, it's all a plan. And anyway, um, we generally got about 350 to 400 shots made in an hour or less, under some guise of a game shot, game spot, game speed. Wow! Yeah. Well, he he uh, would always write them down, take a picture, and go home. And he'd every every workout, and then he would sign them because we got them all over there, they're signed. Anyway, so that day it was his last year. He was pl- not one of his. It was one of his last years. I mean, he was going to China, and he got left left out of here. And he called me from the L.A. airport. On his, right before he left for China and he said, Coach, I need my workout. I forgot to take a picture. <laughs> that's obsessive that's how obsessive compulsive. Wow. Yeah. Because you shoot for a purpose. Right. And I do it with kids. I did it with you guys. We always kept track. Remember, you little sheets. Yep. You end up every shot has to be for a purpose once you get to a point where you want to be serious about this and you want to get better. That's so if you ask me what do we do different here, we keep everything means something. Every shot means something here. You know, and that's that to me makes it's mental to physical. The mental is four to one. The mental is to the physical is fours is to one, particularly mm-hmm. in shooting and shooting free throws. There's no reason. When they talk about these NBA players or take out the free throw, that's just bizarre to me. That is, that is bizarre to me. Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA championship hitting 54 out of 55. It's part that, of the game. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and to act like that's not a value, it's just to it's just give up. Right. You know, it's just to give up by training, people training and everything. You know what I mean?
0: And you still keep in contact with Blake, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Blake was here actually a couple of weeks ago. Frank did a show on him there. and then, Actually, if I put this program together, he's going to come and show up at different periods. He's four miles down, four hours down the road in Memphis. I hope to go there this year after the pandemic. Go to games down there. Yeah, stay, I yeah. taste same blood. That's but really cool. It. In fact, whenever he got the job, right before he got the job, he That's brought me to his house for the Grizzlies and yeah. showed me videos of John ja Morant. What was his name? Ja? Yeah, John ja Morant. Yeah, ja, he's in charge of John ja Morant's development. Oh, Blake okay. is in charge of that. It's his job as a, m- amongst other duties, as an assistant. You know, he was a head coach of the Spurs. G League team, and he won the he won the title. He was the coach. He was the head coach for three years of the Spurs G League team, and he won the cha- championship one year. So he's cutting his teeth in all worlds of coaching, assistant coach, training. And his job right now is to take care of John. Mar- if John Morant flies to L.A. to date a Kardashian, he's got to go with him. Wow! And, and uh, train him that day. You know That's what I mean? I'm, I don't know. I'm making a joke. I just, <laughs> so, Blake never told me that. I'm just guessing.
2: So have you uh, have you seen a little bit of John Morant?
1: No, not really on TV. On TV, yes, right. TV, very athletic. Blake says he's a fine kid. He wants to learn everything. Very athletic. Um, he, you know, and his shot, his his three pointers, a bit erratic, but Blake's working on that. You know what I mean? You know what gotcha. I mean, when he goes, he goes. Okay, he's got so, a great future. Right, for sure. A
2: lot of people think that he'll be a. Similar to Derrick Rose type of I player. I think so. I think it's very, that's a good analogy,
1: how so, he plays.
2: Um, you've been to a lot of worldwide basketball clinics all over the place, and you've mm-hmm. met a ton of NBA stars, including mm-hmm. LeBron James and Chris mm-hmm. Paul. What is it like meeting those guys and
1: watching them do their thing at the clinics? Well, you know, I was so impressed, because these guys make such insane money, that these camps, like, unless it's their own camp that, they're, that they develop, these camps that I coached at, that I helped run in New Jersey, that they were at, they really went there in a benevolent way, just to be around kids and to help the guy run the camp. You know, they didn't, the guy didn't pay many, pay either one of them anything, I don't think, and just other than their expenses and everything, and both were so gracious, all of them, especially that I can remember specifically, LeBron, Chris Paul, and Igadalu, Andre Iguodala, were just so gracious and such. Great people. And Iguodala was really a great speaker with the kids and everything, too. And Chris Ball, too, and LeBron. LeBron's a little bit more shy back then. When it was, I was there, it was 10 years ago, when he lost the first round of the Heat. Right? When he lost to the, lost to the lost Mavs. in the finals the Mavs, yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, to the finals. And he was very upset, and he flew out of the country. And he, that was the first time he came back in the country, that camp, from the Bahamas or something. He's very competitive. And so for him to come back in and go to that camp, it was about two hundred kids. It's not an elite camp. It's a got good players at there. One kid that played for Charlotte, who played at Kentucky, he was in the camp. Do you know his, Do you know his name? What's his name? It's J D something. He was on that one team. Won the national championship. Oh really? Okay. I can you. think of his name. If I said his name, uh-huh. you'd know it. Know it. But he was in that camp. I uh-huh. remember later he became. He was. He was on his way to become great, and he became really. He later spoke at the camp because he was a top three pick. I think Charlotte took him. Charlotte. Yeah, it, gotcha. it was a, what about seven, eight years ago. Anyway, I found that the ones I've lost. I've lost track of his name, but LeBron was so gracious that he went around. There was 200 kids at that camp. He had a picture taken with every kid, his arm around him, talked to the kid, sat on. He was there from like got there about 10 until five in the afternoon until the camp ended, till everybody, every kid was gone. I was just so impressed. This guy was round. And available in a, in a way that was just very, very impressive. And then Chris Paul was the same way. Um, and then Iguodala, like I said, would come every year and speak and was always very available. And there were other great stars. Camelo Anthony, Tariq Evans, I think, was there. Yeah, he was you on the know, Kings for Lots a while, of other guys. Oh, J.R. Smith was there, too. Oh, J.R. That was fun. Yeah. I have to say, that was my first <laughs> indication. Crazy. Yeah, And I was right next to him. He is unique. No <laughs> doubt about it. He's the even mm. live, he's unique. Really? Yeah. Did you have a conversation with him? Yeah, a little bit. Maybe just whatever. I don't remember what about, but yeah. he's definitely an interesting guy. <laughs> he is for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you, did you see in two two 2016 when they won the World championship, he didn't wear a shirt yeah, for yeah, like yeah. three or four yeah, days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a crazy he's, guy. He is. Cra- he's character. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, And then also you've, play, you've trained with players, NBA players like Anthony Bonner, who he played six seasons in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what. What sets apart a, a guy that gets to the NBA from a guy that's aspiring to get to the NBA? I mean, obviously, they both put in a lot of work, but what difference is made between the two?
1: It is, first of all, a lot of work. I mean, these guys don't understand. I've been training a couple of these boys from DeSmet that were going to Mizzou and Pepperdine. got great bodies and everything, yeah. and, and they're just cutting their teeth on what it takes. It really takes a work ethic. When I talked about Anthony Bonner, and there was a guy named Steve Stepanovich who I trained. Steve was the number two pick in the draft in 1984. The work ethic of those guys was so, and that was back then, before LeBron. and, J- and Michael Jordan and Magic and Bird were the ones that set the stone of a work ethic, made a difference. Mm. Before that, the NBA was full of a lot of guys who were kind of freaks of nature. It still is, right. but there were so few really in it that they were just seasonally playing. Then Michael Jordan and Stepanovich was part of that cadre of players. And then after him, uh, Bonner was in that mix, too, that they worked so hard at this. They were, you know, Jordan had it in the love of the game and his contract, you know, because a player got hurt. Gene Banks got hurt and wrecked his leg in a pickup game and he lost his contract. Well, Jordan said, I want to be the greatest player ever. I have to work out. And so it started that whole thing. Now you see LeBron all Curry, all these guys, I mean, there's nobody working at his game harder than LeBron James. I mean, he's the Albert Pujols of basketball, Just you know, just so focused. And, you, and if you're on LeBron's team, you better come with him and right. work or, right. or he's going to run you off. I mean, yeah. and that's a beautiful thing, I think. Right. And so you see the Tatums of the world and Beals of the world have these work ethics, you know what I'm saying? Right. And they do. They really work hard. From everything I know about those guys, the local guys, Tatum and Beal, they have great work ethics, really work ethics. So that has become really sort of a staple in the NBA, what I admire in the NBA so much, that people really work out a lot. I do get a kick out of the social media where they like to show their workouts. Right. What's his name, the Randolph boy from um, The Heat? Uh, from the, the Heat? The guard that shoots a lot. What's his name? Tyler Hero? No, Duncan Robinson. Oh, yeah. He's I liked his take the other day that he, that he was talking about that just because you're not on social media working out doesn't mean you're not. You probably are working out more. Probably. I like that personally. Yeah. I think this showing people, them sh- people showing themselves working out got to be a little bit overplayed. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? In my mind. You're old school coach. Yeah, I am. I'm yeah. like, well, what is the point? You know what <laughs> I mean? And yeah. uh, really, Dirk had the line when he won that title all the, all the nights alone in a hot gym that nobody knew it in social media that when he won that title that year afterwards, they were interviewing him. I just loved what he said in the hot gym. This is a hot gym. Unair conditioned. I love it. I mean, I'm thinking. It does. That it is old school, but you get better, a lot better. Jake is in this gym working out, and he turns the fans off. And it could be 100 degrees outside. He wants to work out without really? the fans. Really? Yeah. He likes it hot. When I was training Stepanovich years ago in the early 80s, I was at Priory. I mean, you can imagine it was so hot and everything. And I remember the trainer from the Pacers telling me, as long as you manage it, it'll actually you'll get in shape faster. It's a better workout. If you've got to manage it, not be stupid, but it is a better workout. You know what I mean?
0: It's interesting because I remember when, when you used to coach us, you were never the biggest fan of LeBron. Me and Army well, were, me and Army always loved LeBron. Whenever yeah, we hyped yeah. him up though, you would always Yeah yeah. Well, I would play. Have always well, that was probably more, more
1: playing. Yeah. playing you guys. But you think he's the hardest oh, worker in the think he's NBA. The hardest worker. I think he's definitely one of the great if not I'm not gonna get into the goat thing and all that. That's, I wanna, am old school. I'm not gonna get into that. <laughs> no. I am old school. I don't think there's 50 players, and I'll get busted. I mean, everybody well, might as well be controversial. Yeah, I scream and yell it. with Frank Cusimano about this all the time. I don't think there's 50 guys in the NBA that could be on NBA rosters in the 1980s. Whenever Jordan, really? Magic, and Bird were playing, and Bonner was in the league then. I don't think there's more than 50 guys. There's, there's 200 guys here that are pretty bad in the NBA. They, wow. they could not make a roster. Whoa. There's no way. It's oh like my. an AAU league. I, NBA to me is almost like an AAU. A glorified aau league
0: wow yeah hot take and, i mean but
1: there are great i mean when you talk about curry and lebron and the top 10 durant, 15 they're yeah. great right, right durant oh yeah absolutely durant but and then what's his name uh the guy from the what's his name uh you should play with the celtics that won the title paul pierce no, no, no the other the bigger taller guy that kevin garnett whenever oh, yeah. he said that tw- 20, guys 20 years ago couldn't have played in this league yeah, he's right. That's when this league started going downhill 20 really? years ago. <laughs> Come Before on, that, Yeah, it did. You don't did, think that there's that, more? That, that era right then when Larry Hughes was in the league, and that, the league was horrible. From about 98 to about 2005, it was horrible. The league was really bad. Because there were a lot of expansion teams, and it was really diluted. I mean, you know, guys are scoring a lot of points on teams that weren't very good, but somebody's got to score. Right, you know what I mean? Yeah. In the game. I played Division Three basketball because we had a team. Right. You know what I mean? At the college I was at. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I got the play. You know you, what I
0: mean? So you don't think guys in the NBA today? That's just
1: my opinion. What I can see. What I can see in visual. And I, I, would say it's a fair visual. It's not a. I'm not against it. When I remember, cause see, I can't really I can't really acknowledge when I was 15 because you're not. You're not able to evaluate kids people at that age who can play. If you're in awe at 15 years old. You're in awe of everybody. You know what I mean? when I got to be in my 18s, 19s, and 20s, 20, 21, I started coaching especially. I could see a NBA player, not an NBA player. There's a guy that played here in St. Louis named David Thirdkill that is so much better than guys that are in the league now. It's not even fun. He played about six years with his, in the NBA, maybe longer. He, was, he won an NBA championship with the Celtics. He was a sixth man of the year. Played at Soldan High School. He was an unbelievable player. And people in this town don't remember him. David Thirdkill, I said, are you kidding? He would be a superstar right now. I mean, there's no question in my mind. I saw David Thirdkill play high school, college. Actually, I was at Mizzou. And we played against him at Bradley. It was unbelievable.
2: Yeah. So you mentioned Larry Hughes. Larry Hughes is a basketball coach now in St. Louis. Uh, I played a little bit for him. Going to keep it honest, this is by far the best basketball coach I've ever had right here. But um, what are your thoughts on Larry Hughes? Have you coached with well, him or great against talent.
1: him? Larry Hughes was a great talent, an NBA talent, when I saw him play. In high school, and uh, you know, I have no questions that he was NBA, an NBA talented player. He was fortunate to go into the league, I feel, at a time when it was really watered down and put some numbers up. Uh, I don't, as far as coaching, and everything I've never seen him coach, so I can't make an evaluation. I've never seen him coach or do anything, so I, I, I can't make an evaluation of whether or not he can coach or not. Who knows? You gotcha. Know I mean?
2: so, so, let me ask you about yourself, real quick. All right. Mm-hmm. So, at Maryville, you were third all-time in assists and hold the record for most assists in a single season.
1: No, I'm, no, I, on that one I'm the, Did you know that I'm the leading assist guy. Nobody's come close. It's really? like 487 assists. I don't Ooh. think anybody's come within like 200.
2: Oh, that's domination. Okay, that's well, not get-
1: domination. It's just a circumstance of the of the of the of the era. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. When I was there, we had a nice team and everything, and I got to play a lot and deliver. I had some guys hitting shots. You can't get an assist unless they hit the shot. Right. You know what true. I mean? True. And uh, I don't. Uh, for my my best friend's the athletic director at Maryville now, and it's not close. I don't think. So yeah, then I was, I was maybe wrong about second that. on game in individual. I had 18 in a game, and then one guy, the other guy had 19 in a game, or something like that. Well, I, had, I had season and career last I checked, and nobody's come close to either one of those. Well, because it's like circumstantial. I don't think that – like, for example, Derek Chivas is the career scoring leader at Mizzou, 2,380 points or something. No one will touch it because now the guys get close, there, go to the NBA. Not that that's not Division Three, But it's just a circumstantial and era thing. You know what I mean? I was fortunate to be around very good players at Maryville that hit shots when I passed it to them.
2: You know what I mean? So, so would you attribute this to watching films or knowing your teammates, or how would you, how would you say that your assists came into play?
1: Well, we, it was a different era. We didn't, get, we didn't have a lot of money. Maryville was just starting a, it was a fledgling Division three program. We played very good teams. By my junior and senior year, we were very good. Um, we beat Edwardsville, UMSL took it to the wire, these kinds of things without scholarships, without a gym. We didn't even have a gym my, all my years playing basketball Maryville. We didn't have a gym, we have a beautiful gym now, but we, we didn't have one. I, th- I felt that actually played to our favor because we were very hungry, you know, the fact that we didn't have a gym played to our favor as to grow as players. But we didn't have film of games of our teams very much, ever once in a while, not very much. Our opponents, we didn't have that kind of sur- uh, budget or surroundings that did exist sort of, but you're talking about the little 70s. It's uh, 50 years now. ago now, almost 45. However, I was a big student of the game. I watched games incessantly on TV when I was little all the way up through. My high school coach would take me to scout with him when I was 16, 17 years old. I, I remember I thought it was odd. He would take me to scout with him, the other teams. I was 16, 17 years old. Later, we became very good friends. He was refereeing for me. We ran around, hung out together, and became best friends. Like, when I was in my mid-20s when I was coaching at DeSmet, at Webster U, and then at Mizzou. And I asked him at one time, why did you take me? He said, I did not ever have a kid that saw the game at that age, that saw that see the game. So what I did, I saw the game. And it was because, it, because I, I was watching it in a, in a way that was different than other kids were watching. The angles and the space and these kinds of things were very unique to me. And I would say I also loved what, what the Brazilians in soccer call a beautiful game, a beautiful basketball game, which is passing and cutting, these kinds of things. The greatest passers and the greatest offensive players in the history of basketball, certainly the two centers, Lewis Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Bill Walton, were created when there was no dunk allowed.
0: Coach, you're saying Bill Walton was the
1: greatest center of all time? Is would, that what you He would have been. <laughs> Bill Walton might have been the greatest player of all time. Come on, you, coach. If you ask Bob Ryan, if you ask Bob Ryan, don't, don't ask me. Bob Ryan, you know who Bob Ryan is? Boston no. Globe. He's a historic Boston Globe reporter. He goes on Frank's radio show every year, and Frank says to him, okay, if you had one player in the history of basketball at his peak, at his peak, and take away injuries anything, but at his peak, and you wanted to start a franchise. And Bob Ryan says it every year. He goes, that's the simplest question. Bill Walt. What
0: would, you, what would
1: your answer be? Bill Walt. He's the greatest. at His Whoa. height of his game. <laughs> you don't understand. Whenever, from, a, from his college career through when he won the title with the – Portland Trailblazers, he absolutely dominated the game right. in a way that was not just his size and everything. He passed. He, let, he, he would pass. He would cut. He made players so much better around him. He was a combination of Larry Bird and Bill Russell. In fact, I saw that. Someone said that, and that is the truth. He was kind of a combination of Bird and Russell at his height. You guys just see this brittle guy that broke down. His body broke down. Right. And it was over with. So I not, you cannot c- include him in the one of the greatest players ever because of his limited career. I get it. I get that. I'm just saying, if you took a, and Bob Ryan, like I said, from the Boston Globe says, if you took a microcosm of the most talented player at the top of his career and you wanted to start a franchise run, it's Bill Walton. So so you mentioned Bill Russell.
2: Do you think that guys like Bill Russell, um, Sam Jones, Will Chamberlain, do you think those guys could keep like, – Compete and keep up with today's era. Really,
1: uh, uh, what's his name uh, from St. Louis? U, the old great player, St. Louis Ed McCauley, pointed this out because it doesn't look like it. You look at these old films and you look, grainy films. You see this stuff going on. You're thinking, "Oh, come on!" He says, "Come on!" There's the the, the physical training allowed for players, the equipment and everything. We would have we would have tr- we would have lifted weights. We would have done things. That these guys are doing now. But assuming that
0: you just take that player and drop him in today's game. Oh, uh,
1: to me, the Boston Celtics team of Wall, of uh, Bird, Parish, uh, McHale, Dennis Johnson, and Danny Ainge, those five would drop in and win the national NBA title every game, every year, wow. right now. And wow. if you took now then go over the Lakers, Magic, Worthy, Gabar, um what's the guard? Cooper. Well, he's a six-man.
0: Byron Scott. He's a Hall of
1: Famer. Byron Scott, and then the other forward. Um, Ac Green and that's Michael Thompson. And all Those guys would drop in. And, <laughs> and then, like, I, I love Jordan's line when he says, when they asked him, could you win the NBA title? And he goes, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He goes, would be, what would the score be? Oh, it might be two or three points. We'd win by two. And the announcer, the, the reporter was surprised and said, it would be that close. He goes, well, we're all almost 60 years old. Right <laughs> that, he's exactly right. They would dominate the league right wow. now. So we're not even close. Okay. It's not even close. I mean, they would, I don't think it is.
0: Well, it looks like we got to wrap it up now. Right, so, it. Coach, thank you so much for coming on the show. Take care. <laughs> um, guys, <laughs> thanks for I watching. I want to be controversial for you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Check us out at um, any social media at No Regard Media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook,
1: anything. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. Peace.